You're listening to Talking Buildings, the podcast related to all things about the built environment. Here is your host, Paul Angus. Hello, Davina, and welcome to Talking Buildings. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I was just thinking on the way here, I, I, can't, um, I can't believe how long it's been since we last seen each other properly. I think it was in December, back at the Christmas party, Christmas lunch over in, in Perth. Perth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is it time flying? And how much has changed since then as well? Look, to be honest, I, I, I heard a joke that the one thing that was a waste was buying a 2020 planner. Oh, yeah? Because to be <laughs> frank, whatever any of us thought we were going to be doing on this day at this stage, yeah. the one thing that we can certainly say is that that has changed. It's totally out the window, isn't it? Mm. Okay, so for those who perhaps never had the pleasure of meeting you before, um, can you give us a little insight to who you are, yeah. you know, where you come from, and... Um, and a little bit of background as to, like, what's your elevator pitch? You know, Fantastic. So Davina Rooney, the CEO of the Green Building Council of Australia. So my role, I have the privilege of partnering with industry to transform towards sustainability. And we do that through a number of ways. But a little more about me. Um, I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely started on the consulting side. I had the privilege of working in Sydney, London, yep. Indian Himalayas, very briefly deployed to Pakistan with AusAid, okay. uh, what was then AusAid, yeah. and then worked at Stockland for a decade in a variety of roles, both operational and sustainability procurement. And my most recent role was being the general manager of sustainability and corporate procurement at Stockland before yeah. transitioning to the Green Building Council a little over a year ago. Okay, wow. Can you tell us a little bit about the Himalayas? What was, what was happening there? Yeah, yeah. So if there's any Bollywood fans, uh, the school that I was working on um, was actually in a key Bollywood movie, mm-hmm. So, which, was, uh, which has been very popular. But uh, the, the school that I worked on, we actually mm-hmm. started, so the charity uh, worked with Arab Associates, was mm-hmm. who I was working with in London, a combination of engineers and architects. Mm-hmm. And we would design the project and then each year one lucky design team participant would go out and supervise site for um, four to six months yeah. when the ground wasn't frozen because <laughs> it's it's a whole different dynamic when yeah. you're working in the Himalayas and the ground's frozen for four to six months of the year. Yeah, yeah. It really tightens your construction timeline. I can imagine, yeah. Wow. And so it was a school. So it was this kind of beautiful project where we started building the nursery school. Mm-hmm. And then as the kids grew up, it set the construction program. So we'd, as they grew, we had to build the junior school and the senior school. Yeah, so yeah. it was, you know, both a construction site and a school. Um, but it won look a number of international design awards for Best okay. Green School and things like that in World Architecture Awards. So it was a real privilege of a project. Wow. But to be honest, if, if you were ever to talk about a project on sustainability, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, so it was my first solar project back yeah. in 2004 and I, yeah, and yeah. I got to learn what happens when you don't line up your solar, your batteries and your inverter very well. Ah, right. Um, so, or, but things like local construction, natural materials, we would actually have people quarrying stone out the back up the road mm-hmm. that we were using and very much using passive design principles, trom walls, because it became so cold. And um, so that was half my time in the Himalayas. The other time was my first community project, working on a youth enterprise project with mm-hmm. the EU, yeah. where we were looking at similarities between employment for youth in remote regions mm-hmm. in the Himalayas and how that related to remote regions in the EU. So a really diverse program. But really? for me, I sort of then came back to work in private practice and said, I love this, mm-hmm. but 
at each stage, I want to have my role leading in and leaning into sustainability, best environmental and community practice yeah. and lent into that passion area, which has brought me to where I am today. Fantastic. What a story. Wow. Mm. I had no idea. Have you been back or have you been like sort of tracking it to see how it's going? Or? Well, you see, the the, the joke is, um, you know, I worked for Arup at the time who yeah. were wonderful and they used to say Arup life, Arup wife, the idea being that if you travelled with uh-huh. Arup that you would... Uh, you know, find a partner and marry overseas. And I met my husband on a train on the way to the Taj Mahal. You did I did, I did. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a very beautiful story, potentially for another day and a glass yeah, of yeah. wine. Wow. But, yeah, I do uh, return to India uh-huh. um, and, you know, get to see progress in the region, which is, you know, really impressive. Wow, beautiful. Okay. Um, I was just thinking as well when I was walking in, um, it's, it's great to be back in the city. I mean, I've been coming back now uh, maybe one day a week when all, all this has been happening. But it was, just, it was fantastic just to walk in and, you know, I was just walking around your office as well just now and it was good to see a little bit of a buzz there. You know, there's only a few people in, but, you know, it's been, been working from home. It's kind of, um, it's a little bit challenging, you know. Look, and I think one of the things is how do we, you know, as we go through this pandemic, mm. you know, we often look at and frame the policy response. There's the first phase, which is the protect phase that we've mm. seen all the governments in at the moment where they, you know, deploy hospitals, take care of people. Then there's what we would refer to as like a pivot phase yeah. where we take businesses unusual Mm-hmm. and learn how to reimagine that. So a podcast that we're doing today that we've been planning for a while, you yeah. know, planning it in this new environment. And then there's the rebound, what happens when we're on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think one of the challenges while we're in what I would describe as this pivot phase that we're in now where certain things are possible, but, you know, we're really embracing the fourth industrial revolution of how we digitise our workplaces mm-hmm. is how do we maintain social connection mm-hmm. with physical distance? Mm-hmm. You know, it never should have been called social distancing because we see the mental health and wellbeing implications Yeah, and there's challenges for people feeling at times more isolated than ever before. So a big challenge for lots of organisations is how do you maintain culture, how do you maintain the sense of feeling connection togetherness whilst being separated. So, you know, for the Green Building Council, we do buddy calls across the organisation virtual barista bars and the like. Okay. But it's sometimes the balance of, you know, as as people's um, commitments definitely in the early stage of the pandemic, mm-hmm. how do we actually support people at different stages of their journey? Because yeah. we've kind of got the young cohort or um, who may be living, you know, in a very small apartment or flat share where no one's sharing anymore. Mm-hmm. Their needs are enormously different to the parents at home who've been sort of juggling large and increasing workloads and care loads. So yeah, yeah. we found that our wellbeing programs have had to flex uh-huh. because it's no point asking someone with enormous caring responsibilities to make an additional wellbeing call mm-hmm. if they haven't had the time to ask themselves or a member of their own family how they are. Yeah, yeah. So it's the kind of time where how, how do you maintain that culture and pull in whilst actually dealing with the complexity of a lot of people's circumstances have changed radically. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's due to things as an employer that you weren't previously aware of. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's been about maximum flexibility, creating that space, Mm -hmm. and sometimes recognising with your international cohorts that things might look and feel pretty different. Mm -hmm. You know, so for us working from home, we've had some international working from home Mm. where lockdowns were called around the world appropriately. Sometimes the team wanted to be where home was. Uh All right. Wow. Mm. 
Excellent. And what about, um, what have you learned personally about yourself being in lockdown? Um, look, it, I think it's really funny in these phases. I, I'd have to say, um, I think you learn quite a lot about resilience. You mm-hmm. know, I, I have two beautiful children. Yeah. And whilst, uh, you know, we love spending the extra time together, homeschooling was a little bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. I can um, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> look, I think one of the things, they were amazing though. Yeah. You know, my daughter's school's just come back and they can't believe how much her reading levels went up. No way. And really? so it's just one of those things that, you know, if you're in a position and this is very different for different circumstances where you can lean into that, mm-hmm. how, how do you find a way that there's family goals? So one of the things we did early on mm-hmm. was we said, okay, okay, we're stuck here. Yeah. What do we want to do differently? Mm-hmm. So like my daughter got her training wheels off. My son and I did a 10K bike ride. Bike riding seems to be quite common. Uh-huh. I finally knocked over my 5K run that I'd been talking about. Check you. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's my husband who said he'd do a 21K run who's the one with still a bit of confessional at the end of all of this. Uh-huh. But that's, you know, in a pandemic, he, a lot of it's, about not just aiming for goals though, but mm-hmm. how do you make things move to take care of yourself? Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, you're fresh out of the Green Building Day online event that was just yesterday. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What's the key takeaways from that? And is there anything like it's got the key focus of GBCA moving forward? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we held our Green Building Day, which we hold in um, across the, the end of each financial year, which is really to give industry and in particular practitioners an update of where we see sustainability, what we see moving. And I think the exciting thing is there's a lot moving. Yeah. So when we look in um, into residential, we launched a home strategy in May, mm-hmm. which is all about how do we take, you know, the place that many of us have spent a lot of time, our homes, mm-hmm. and work through the fact that, you know, frankly, they're not as comfortable as they should be. Mm-hmm. And how do we inspire people to want better and to ensure that better is implemented, mm-hmm. as in have a code change. Mm-hmm. And so we're consulting at the moment on the National Construction Code for 2022. Yeah. And the codes actually are doing a phenomenal job lifting at the moment. Mm-hmm. So the 2019 code had a 35% efficiency increase mm-hmm. in every asset class other than residential. Right. And okay. that was sort of implemented, staged, but uh, implemented May every across Australia, you know, bar a few exceptions. WA has a COVID delay and a few Mm -hmm. things like that. But, okay, if we have that sector on track, what does that mean for residential? Mm -hmm. And the thing that we have to be most cognisant is it's not just about efficiency, it's also about comfort. And when we don't deploy minimum standards, it's Mm -hmm. actually the most vulnerable in our community that suffer. Um, There was a particular study last year that demonstrated that in emergency wards in Melbourne, people coming in with hypothermia in the elderly, mm-hmm. 87% of them were indoors uh-huh. when found. Yeah, yeah. You know, energy poverty is uh-huh. real mm-hmm. and the social consequences. So I think one of the things, you know, boring engineers like myself have been good at is showing the graphs, the facts and figures, mm-hmm. but we haven't always been able to put a human face on the outcomes that are achieved mm-hmm. when we don't get it right yeah. and the fact that it's the most vulnerable who often have the consequences. So at Green Building Day, uh, we are celebrating a strategy which we launched mm-hmm. and that was about working with volume home builders for how do we imagine better. Yeah. Because COAG has a stated target of net zero energy for all codes for 2030. Uh-huh. 
So how do we work with the industry to transition to get there? Yeah. So that, that that's something that we use the expertise of all of your members to yeah, lean yeah. into highly efficient buildings, ultimately powered by renewables, whether mm-hmm. it's at the house or in the grid, yeah. and make that a stage transition where everyone benefits, where the leaders, you know, receive value for going first, and then there's a staged approach across industry. Uh-huh. So that was one aspect. We're launching um, a new tool suite, which we call Future Focus, which is really about bringing these concepts um, you know, of what does the most efficient buildings look like for now and into the future mm-hmm. and actually seeking to deliver those. And then hearing, you know, my favourite part of the day is we get to hear all the fabulous stories across industry about what's what's leading, you know, and so that's kind of, you know, from Burwood Brickworks across mm-hmm. some great projects with development Western Australia mm-hmm. and sort of really also a real focus that we're seeing is there's really large infrastructure projects mm-hmm. that are leaning right into sustainability. So so what does the sustainability principles look reimagined on a tunnel or a, on, a, on a railway station? Okay. Because if we want to change everything, yeah. you know, we need everyone. So how do we, you know, work across those areas? Of course. So it was a success then, was it? Yeah, yeah. Look, we we had over four hundred participants. No we way. had a wonderful day. And this is all online. Four hundred people online. All online. You without, know. So go, we go without we, a hitch. We we look. There's always a few <laughs> heart stopping moments. Yeah. I, I admit to praying to the digital gods before <laughs> these kinds of things. Yeah. But we've been so lucky. You know, industry's just been so extraordinary. And there's been. I think the one thing out of this pandemic is we have to remember that we have a short to medium term challenge out of this. Mm -hmm. Some of the large environmental challenges are very long term Mm -hmm. and we can't take a step backwards. We really need to be leaning forwards and sort of leaning into these challenges and planning for the future and ensuring that whatever stimulus we spend or however we plan to resolve our short term problem actually delivers our long term aims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So... Clearly, it's not just about what we're doing here in Australia, though, isn't it? So you must touch base regularly with um, your current parts around the world. Mm. Um, so I was just wondering, how do you see the global sustainability megatrends developing? Mm. So we're very fortunate. The Green Building Councils are actually networked through a global network with the World Green Building Council. Mm-hmm. And we actually come together for large strategy days. There was one in New York last September around Climate Week, yeah. where not only were we launching some new work on embodied carbon, but all the CEOs around the globe were coming to lean in to see where we saw the trends. Mm -hmm. And the three big trends that are really standing out are carbon, which we've covered in this conversation. Yeah. Circular economy or materials use Mm -hmm. and health and wellbeing. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they're the key trends is, you know, many people know the statistic that approximately 40% of global carbon use relates to buildings. Mm -hmm. But many people aren't aware that 50% of materials use around the globe relates to buildings. Yep. And on air quality, the World Health Organization says that over 90% of people uh, don't have the appropriate air quality. Okay. Now, yeah. before we used to say in Australia that that wasn't a local issue, air mm-hmm. quality is gorgeous here. Yeah. The horror summer that we had has really brought front and centre that these global challenges are very global, but they're mm-hmm. also very local and right now. So this was made very clear to me when I was describing to my eight-year-old oh, yeah? why he couldn't breathe when he was going to school yeah, yeah, and, frankly, yeah. what I was going to do about it. Yeah. So that's an example on how when I started my career, you know, some of these megatrends were long-term and global mm-hmm. and then suddenly they were very personal and mm-hmm. very local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things in sustainability, at times we've made it a bit complex. You've got to choose one or the other rather than accepting that these megatrends are often a pathway to the same place. So it's far 
easier to persuade someone mm-hmm. that um, it's to their and their child's best benefit mm-hmm. to actually walk to school because they'll be more confident, they'll mm-hmm. be more comfortable, their health and well-being will be better yeah. than to drive them, uh-huh. whereas the carbon output's the same. Yeah. So one can feed the other and when uh-huh. we actually do them right, yeah. uh, we end up at the same place. Awesome. Um, so we're all counting down to zero with a lot of initiatives being published in the industry news around the net zero buildings. Mm. And it's really encouraging to see developers, architects, consultants, everyone um, are all adjusting their strategies and procurement methodologies um, to suit. So can maybe talk us through the strategy around carbon? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at the roles that the Green Building Council has, um, there's education, you know, the kind of discussion we're doing today, Green mm-hmm. Building Day reference. Yeah advocacy, the aspects that I leaned into about how do we work with government to transition tools, transition codes. Yeah. But we also have our own rating system, which is Greenstar, which is about how we, so for the new tools, mm-hmm. all new six-star world leadership buildings mm-hmm. will need to be net zero. Yeah. And then we're going to transition that across the entire rating set before 2030. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of setting a pathway and a plan. We've yep. published a carbon positive roadmap for how we get there. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece is how we advocate, which is how we partner with others to get there. Yeah. You know, so whether that's working with neighbours who's a close partner of ours, working yeah. across government, working across industry, mm-hmm. you know, working with the Declare movements, which has been a huge awakening of professionals in this space. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, look, our role is very much to educate, advocate, rate and collaborate. But what that means realistically yeah. is, to put it more simply, mm-hmm. uh, with our rating tools, we create the carrot. Mm-hmm. We use some of the advocacy to help drive the stick Right. And then there's what we call a tambourine. You know, how do you create engagement, excitement, enthusiasm in this space? So sometimes the tambourine is the global net zero leadership programs that we run with World Green Building Council for existing buildings. Uh So, yeah, if I was to solidify our strategy back in the carbon space, Mm -hmm. it's the carrot, the stick, and the tambourine. I'm loving all these visuals. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, what about taking the pledge? Can you give us some insights on the case for zero carbon pledge um, from an organization's point of view? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the things that's a role of professionals is very much to demystify like what is a net zero building in operation. Mm -hmm. It's a highly efficient building run by renewables. And the business case for any of those items fundamentally has never been better. Mm -hmm. You know, Stockland, who was my previous employer, who did wonderful efficiency work, uh, over $100 million worth of bills saved Mm -hmm. since they started their programs. And they have higher return on investment from their efficiency programs than most of their other developments. They have to beat and exceed the same hurdle rates. Uh That's super. Then Mm. we see on the uh, renewable side, there's, you know, at at the same time we rolled out programs with double-digit returns for renewables and Mm -hmm. there's even really innovative power purchase agreement structures in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And in many times people are saving money by buying renewable energy. So Mm -hmm. the business case is very strong, but it's such a great market signal as well as doing one efficiency project at a time to really set your eye on the lighthouse on the hill and march towards that net zero goal so you can share that goal with your organisation and get across all your areas of procurement Uh rather than just necessarily the one project or program that you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. Um, it's really encouraging to hear um, so many within the industry are taking the pledge mm. and are making that commitment. Um, I'm just going to sort of twist that a little bit. Um, so when I've got my sustainability hat on, I'm in the consultancy role. It's kind of from my experience when the managing contractor comes on board, you know, after tender, 
the first activity they look to do is slash costs. You know, they're taking everything out, what they can, what they can save money. Value um, management, I think it's, you know, euphemistically term. called. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and as, a, as a result, we lose some of the fantastic momentum and around sustainability. And it's all focused on cost, like I say. Mm. And it's, um, you know, it's certainly got an adverse effect um, throughout the whole life cycle of the project. And, mm. you know, an example, which is what we were saying with Stockland, the savings they've got there. Do you think we'll see a change in this kind of approach? And what are the views on cost versus value for sustainability? Mm. So I would argue that we have to put the value back into value management rather than short-term totally. cost yeah. for one participant in a supply chain. And so the, the aspect that I see in that space is I think one of our roles is to talk more about financial value yeah. and actually bust some of the myths in industry. Mm-hmm. So, for example, with a Green Star project, we've done some extensive research. We find that our four-star best practice is about 1% of the project value. Yep. Five to six-star Australian Leadership World Excellence is uh-huh. 2 to 3%. Okay. However, what's the value that goes with that? Yeah. Our work with MSCI, PCA on their Green Property Index shows yeah. that Green Star office buildings outperform valuation approximately 5%, mm-hmm. have better income 13%, mm-hmm. and tenants mm-hmm. are stickier. They want to stay there. Yeah. So we've got there's over 25% weighted average lease expiry mm-hmm. or to a layperson how long before you come out of your lease. Yeah. In other words, people are happier to do longer-term leases and then they renew quicker mm-hmm. if they're happier and more comfortable in a space. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the end user then, isn't it? At the end it's of the all day. about yeah. the end yeah. user. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say it's all about getting value back into the value management project mm-hmm. or first cost. And I also think that as professionals, we need to get better at having these conversations. So yeah. Yeah. I remember a discussion that I had with a development manager and he told me that he'd run out of cost mm-hmm. to use for our energy efficiency programs and it was a retail site. And I was like, why don't you build one less shop? Mm-hmm. You've run out of money, build yeah. one less shop. Uh-huh. And he said, oh, but I get a return from that. Well, one, you haven't leased it. Yeah. And two, I beat your returns every day of the week. <laughs> so if we're going to have a value-based conversation, instead yeah. of talking about paybacks, uh-huh. let's talk financial returns. Yeah, yeah. And most of the efficiency, sustainability ones, actually, particularly in challenged asset classes, are some of the best returns you'll ever have. Yeah. And so really driving the cost back to what that process was intended to be yeah. about value management rather than, you know, sometimes in a badly managed process, it can be ripping and stripping a lot of the value that you've spent years designing into the process. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you kind of touched upon it there, but what if you don't take that approach? You know, what happens then? Well, you know, I think the challenge is about stranded assets. Mm-hmm. You know, so what does it mean if we know the climate's changing? We know that um, many of the design models that we rely on are based on old data. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's up to a 1% difference, degree temperature difference. So you can end up with an asset that you can't meet the future market needs. Mm-hmm. Or what about more extreme events? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, some of my experience within industry, when we've actually adapted for the climate, we've had insurance discounts, mm-hmm. we've had less downtime at assets in extreme weather, yeah. and we found that those assets are more able to meet the marketplace's demand. Mm-hmm. And so I would say one of the things we're seeing in the coal industry at the moment is divestments or what the investment analysts call stranded assets. Uh-huh. My prediction is poorly designed buildings that don't meet the needs of tomorrow as we enter the fourth industrial revolution, mm-hmm. there's going to be a fight for quality yeah. as we all return to the office. Mm-hmm. 
And do you really want to leave your house if you don't feel better in your office than you do in your home? Mm. So this real flight for quality, I think, is the right time for us to optimise. Otherwise, some of these assets certainly will become obsolete through processes. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of mentioned there a little bit about the work you're doing with the PCA. But mm. um, what, what else or what's the Green Building Council's plans for influencing policy to be in line with the Paris Agreement? Absolutely. So... We're very fortunate to have a very strong agreement with the Property Council of Mm -hmm. Australia. So the wonderful Ken Morrison sits on my board. Um, But we launched a joint policy toolkit, Every Building Counts. Mm -hmm. And so that is all about a practical emissions reduction guide. Mm -hmm. How do you take it from the big concept to the Paris Agreement to what should you do today, tomorrow and the next day in the building space? So. Ken and I uh, launched that with Minister Angus Taylor last year okay, and then have been working with key ministers and their departments around the country. Mm-hmm. I really have to give, you know, the business of government an enormous amount of credit. Mm-hmm. I have never seen, you know, in my time in industry more engagement and alignment and, you know, long-term planning as we seek to yeah. take agendas like these and mm-hmm. adapt them across the industry in a way that we can seamlessly plan and sort of transition industry. Uh-huh. And where can people get hold of this? Is it on your website? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or if you just type into Google, every building counts, it has its own microsite oh. so that you can actually release that content. And importantly, yeah. we released a different federal, state and local plan. Because ah, okay. often in advocacy terms, people make a statement and mm-hmm. use it as a report to hit government with. Yeah, yeah. However, the way that the federal government plans is infinitely different to the way your local council works. Mm -hmm. So with your local council, it's all about planning controls, pilot projects, innovation that they can run. At the state level, it's really all about the key departments that they run in education, hospitals, the offices they run, how do they lean in through their procurement and work Mm -hmm. local on planning. And federally, it's how do we really set the different codes and line them up. So I've given a flavour of those, but we deliberately break down Mm -hmm. what the different levers that can be pulled at different levels of government. Uh So rather than a statement of, you know, what industry thinks you should be doing in capital letters, it's intended as a practical guide for how do we actually work together for policy recommendations at each level Uh that work in harmony. Ah, okay. And is it you recommend everyone have a look at that? Yeah, is is it aimed for architects, consultants? Who's it aimed at? The document's purpose is mm-hmm. it's it's policy guidance for government and key mm-hmm. decision makers. Okay. However, it's quite um, there's an executive summary there that's yep. very helpful for professionals. Yeah. Because it shows where industry is going yeah, yeah. and what the pathways are going to see. It's so the future, then, yeah. It's absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like reading the tea leaves of tomorrow. Ah, okay. Because these are items that we're partnering with different departments, so the recommendations are broken into seven areas. And they're mm-hmm. as diverse as net zero planning to codes to what should be occurring in the material space. And we're going to be doing some further research with the government on embodied carbon to shape some of those areas. Yeah. So very diverse, but very, you know, for an industry professional, mm-hmm. not everyone is aware that the government has actually set a net zero trajectory in buildings. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, the difference between 2020 and 2030 in buildings mm-hmm. is going to be extraordinary. Mm. And so how do you actually get your team ready? How do you lean into that future? Uh If you read a document like this, it tells you where Australia's current policy is at, international best practice, Mm -hmm. 
and Australian best practice on a page for each of them. So it's kind of, for practitioners, it's kind of a great cheats guide for how do you catch up quickly in the policy space Uh because often it can be very complex trying to take apart all the different policy consultations and piecing them together to understand from a practitioner's perspective. So it's kind of like a cheats cookbook in that context as well. Fantastic. So out of that, your recommendation is everyone should have a look at that, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So what other recent initiatives does the Green Building Council have tucked up your sleeve? And can you tell us a little bit more about any success stories you'd like to share? Oh, absolutely. Look, we have had our largest number of year of ratings, which has been Mm -hmm. very exciting. We're already over 2,600 ratings. Mm -hmm. Excitingly, and particularly for your partners, we have over a thousand existing buildings that we're tracking the performance of. Wow. And okay. so the big mega trend that we're certainly seeing within property at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, we did our first investor briefing on these lenses earlier in the week, yeah. is how we actually not only take new buildings, which yeah. are important, but the battle for sustainability is going to be won and lost in existing buildings. Uh-huh. And so we have the usual suspects, you know, portfolios being rated, the Len Laces, the Stocklands, the Frasers. Yeah. But also we have people with more distributed portfolios like the Cromwells, the QICs, mm-hmm. and very excitingly we're starting to have Woolworths and some of the government portfolios leaning into this space. Oh, super. Mm-hmm. And so for us it's a lot about you take things like the Paris Agreement, but where's the how-to guide? You know, mm-hmm. we seek to set up the tool as a ladder to climb yeah. so that people can work out the pathways that they'd like to take. Yeah. So if you're looking for um, big future-looking announcements for us, uh-huh. we're going to be announcing our standard in homes and we're working with volume-building partners around the country to see what that mm-hmm. looks like. Mm-hmm. So we're due to launch that at the end of July. Okay. We're due to launch our future-looking buildings tool uh-huh. in September. We call that our Future Focus Program. What does that and- involve? So what that involves is um, a few key elements. Mm-hmm. One is embedding net zero buildings at world leadership and actually operationalizing that policy area that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. The other is pulling together a whole series of simple things that people do in buildings, efficient taps and toilets, mm-hmm. low toxin paints, yeah. 10% better efficiency standards, mm-hmm. and actually making those minimums. Ah, okay. Make it simpler for industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just so that in the value exercise that you describe, Mm -hmm. there's a clear base understanding of what minimums nobody should be touching in that project and Ah, that program, which is a big streamlining. And then the other big piece is is language. Mm -hmm. So um, engineers like myself have over the last decade taken parts of sustainability and made it unintelligible to anyone that can't describe it as their day job. Give me an example. What do you mean? Yeah. So one of our <laughs> categories, we used to call it indoor environment quality. Uh-huh. We're going to rebadge that as healthy because mm-hmm. the idea is if you can't explain it to your mum, mm-hmm. then you probably can't explain it to one of your tenants. Oh, yeah. And you probably can't explain it to the investor cohort who don't always have property as their day job. Uh-huh. And so simple translatable areas Mm -hmm. so that we can actually try to take the very appropriately detailed and technical sustainability conversation Mm -hmm. but represent it in plain English so it's a discussion Mm -hmm. that we can have with everyone if we want to change everything. Yeah. So they're a couple of the big focus areas that we're seeing and the other that we're really leaning into is how do we digitise that? 
Yeah. How do we ensure that industry spends their time on more sustainability mm-hmm. rather than what's been the bane of many's existence, more time on documentation or more time on reporting it, more time on proving what you did. Mm-hmm. So one of the big things that we're leaning into is process optimization. Mm-hmm. We'll be um, launching a minimum viable product next year for how we digitise uh-huh. and more seamlessly integrate across sustainability in that area. Okay. And you just mentioned there that you're monitoring, was it a thousand buildings, did you say? Or yep, there's a thousand, over a thousand over existing a thousand. buildings mm-hmm. that we partner with and we're seeking to grow that cohort. We had our first um, private hospital sign up to that consortium. Oh, okay. yeah. And so the idea is if people are actually investing in these programs, mm. how do you know you're getting the outcomes mm. mm-hmm. unless someone's checking them? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And if your day job isn't property, mm-hmm. well, how do you measure it in a way that's comparable to everyone else and mm-hmm. gives you some information that's actually useful? Yeah. And how do we actually streamline what industry is doing mm-hmm. to ensure that it's to the best long-term benefit? Yeah. Okay. That information is going to be gold, isn't it? Yeah. It, and yeah. so our view is that data is the new oil. Mm-hmm. And so the digitization focus is really one, so we can make it easier for industry. Yeah. But we'd also like to start giving those back as insights across industry. Yeah. And we'd love to see more detailed university research in this area where we can more easily provide data to lead to insight. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And have you got any good news stories, um, anything that's, you know, something that's happened or, you know, anything you can sort of elaborate on that people might want want to hear about? Look, I'd have to say in our space, there's quite an amount of good news. So I could tell you good news from our tenant international towers at Barangaroo when they heard we wanted to, in March, we digitised our major event in two weeks and we had our landlord turn our um, office, a Mm -hmm. a vacant tenancy, into a base studio for us. Yeah. You know, so I think one of the things that's exciting is how property has leaned in in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, The other that I would also say is when we started talking home standards, we've been really privileged to have groups, cohorts like Metricon or Rawson's lean in to help us announce these things. Mm -hmm. So I have never seen industry across the spectrum of industry more ripe for change and wanting to take a step forward. One thing we found in the pandemic, Mm -hmm. people said to me, is this the GFC? Mm -hmm. Is this, does sustainability take a a, a backseat while we sort of worship at the altar of financial returns? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot greater understanding of vulnerability. Yeah. So we've always shown people the World Economic Forum, their trends of what the biggest risks are globally. Mm -hmm. Six of those relate to sustainability, whether it's biodiversity loss, water challenges, climate resilience. Yeah. Guess what number 10 is? The pandemic. No way. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So number 10 is spread of infectious diseases. Really? Okay. Now, a year ago, if, if we were having this podcast <laughs> a year ago yeah. and I said, yep, yeah, number 10 on the World Economic Forum's top risk registers, a pandemic, we all would have said, look, we have the World Health Organization. We all have hospitals. We have yeah. health departments. Uh-huh. There'll be a vaccine. We'll manage this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened in a million years, eh? That will never happen. <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah. And so I think, though, that that translates the understanding that people have about systems vulnerability from whether it's, you know, how easily one gets toilet paper if Uh we have a short-term disruption to how people want to buy it Uh um, versus any number of variables. We realise that our systems, they're not very resilient. Mm. Mm. So if this can happen from a virus, how do the other nine out of that 10 from the World Economic Forum, Uh do we have solutions for them? if things get a little bit out of, mm. you know, kilter. Yeah. And the other piece that gives me a lot of hope is I've been seeing, and it hasn't been rising out of 
environmental circles, mm-hmm. there's been many social memes with people saying, wow, look how clear the skies are. Yeah. Look at these fish that we're seeing in different parts of the world. Look at the reemergence of nature. Uh-huh. And there's a genuine opportunity that do we want to sort of bounce back or do we want to reimagine forwards? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a unique opportunity We sort of said, what will it, for 20 years I've been saying, what would it take for people to stop and reflect on what we're doing and what choices we've made? Yeah, yeah. This is that moment. Yeah. So before we wrap up, um, you're just sort of leaning into it, but with so much uncertainty before us caused by that pandemic, what would be your key message on building to bounce back? Absolutely. So the thing that I would say is right now we're in this pivot time Mm -hmm. and I would say that as we're looking, we're going to be launching financial stimulus Mm -hmm. to support industry as it transitions. We've seen that. We're already seeing that. But what we want is a hardworking stimulus. Mm -hmm. So something that deploys not just what we need today, which is a short-term financial boost, but actually delivers in the long term. So I'll make that really tangible. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been speaking very much with the COVID property task force around the country, but I'll give an example from Victoria Mm -hmm. where all the planning projects that they're giving fast planning approvals actually have requirements for sustainability ratings. Okay. Because if there's some give, Mm -hmm. then there's due to be some take. The idea that you actually have a way of ensuring Mm -hmm. that there's a long-term achievement gained because in Victoria um, their goals from their pandemic stimulus is absolutely aligned to their net zero 2050 goals. Mm -hmm. So how do we tie those things together? So with the short-term, you know, um, bang, we get a a longer return from it. Awesome. All right. So we're going to end this discussion with a little like fun. Awesome. Are you in? <laughs> um, so we're going to call this um, time for quarantine quiz. So uh, <laughs> we've mixed in some general trivia um, and some random teaser questions just to keep your toes. So are you ready? I'm ready. General disclaimer: uh-huh. I, I'm the world's worst trivia player. So let's it's roll. All right. It's all about, about <laughs> fun. Okay. So um, and there's going to be a little theme here. You might pick up on it. Let's see if you. Do. Um, <laughs> what color is a star? Ooh. Oh. Oh, made you think. Uh, white light. Ah, it's um stars are actually black. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Would you believe? Because they've got they've got this black body, right? And it sort of absorbs radiation, but falls into it. And then what it does is it just sort of um it radiates it radiates it back into space. So that's why it says um you know if a star's got a black body, it glows with a great brilliance. So there you go. I love that. Aye, yeah. Um, so think on colors. So are there any green stars in space? You should know this. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know. No. I'm looking forward to being educated. No, the answer is no. Would you believe? Oh, yeah. So these are disappointing. These are, these are a couple of the first things I picked up on. I thought you'd be all over it. But yeah. <laughs> so I thought. Well, apparently stars are um, admit some sort of spectrum, like a rainbow of colors, and it sort of all blends together. And there is green in it, but to your human eye, it all mixes together, and you, you just don't see the green. So there you go. Staying on. So it's green star. See what's green happening star, here? Yep. Yeah. Um, where in Australia is Green Island? I have no idea. It's apparently it's forty-five minutes by catamaran off the coast of Cairns in Queensland. Beautiful. Yeah, she needs to get up there. Have your next meeting up there. Can you name a song with the word green or star in the title? Making you think, aren't I? This is <laughs> no, I can't. This is abysmal. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I did this uh, psychometric profiling that says I only focus on things of critical importance, which uh-huh. like definitionally means I can't answer any trivia questions. I'm so sorry. 
You got you got children, haven't you? Yeah. What twinkle twinkle? <laughs> I've got some written down here. So I've got the green grass of home, green sleeves. Twinkle twinkle, though I I will yeah. be hit up at home that I didn't uh, I didn't pick that one quickly enough. Starman, mm. David Bowie, um, boy meets girl waiting for a star to fall. Do you remember that one? Um, Muse has got starlight, lucky star, Madonna, and of course twinkle twinkle. There's there's thousands out there. Um, so you're probably not going to get this one either. No, um, no, I, I must say I'm not setting the tone well. I apologise. Can you name a band or an artist with the word green or star? Green Day. Yay. Love it. Um, we also got Al Green, um, CeeLo Green, Starship, Mazzy Star, Star Sailor. So music's the theme now. <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? Look at your face. <laughs> so lucky that this is a podcast. Yeah. I, I have the face for radio. <laughs> yeah. No, don't say that. Um, so when all this goes back to normal, you've got to go and sing a karaoke. So um, you've got karaoke um, group sort of thing. Um, what song would you pick? And let me hear you sing a verse of it. Well, I, I'd have to go with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star from our earlier. So Twinkle, twinkle, little star. So now you know why I didn't make the school <laughs> choir either. <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, so we're going to finish the lyric now. You've got to sing this. You ready? So this one's like linking, linking back to what we were just talking about. So this one is Starship. Do you remember Starship? No. You must remember Starship from the 80s. No? I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to sing it. <laughs> I'm going to sing the first, first verse. So... Look into your eyes, I see a paradise. Over to you. Yeah, no. no. Oh, we're wasted on we? <laughs> <laughs> I did apologise at the start that, you know, not my strong suit. It's this world that I found is too good to be true. You must, you'll remember all this now. Well, you'll be yeah. driving home and you'll be singing it, won't you? Yeah. That, that could happen. What about David Bowie? Do you remember David Bowie? I do, but I won't be finishing lines either. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is the, this is the joke in my household that, oh, really? yeah, that, that this is the one thing that I'll never know. Like psychometric studies show that I filter out irrelevant information and block it. Okay, yeah. Because I was going to sing, there's a star man waiting in the sky. Waiting. Nope. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're not doing karaoke with you, that's for sure. <laughs> You're going to sing Twinkle Twinkle. <laughs> that's right. Alrighty. I'm not going to ask you any more questions about music then. <laughs> um, or maybe I will. One more question. One but this more. is this is a theme tune. So um you do a lot of keynote speeches, right? Mm. Um so you know how when a boxer or a wrestler walks into the room, you know, into the arena, yeah. you've got this like you know, the Rocky theme tune or some yeah. sort of tune that gets the crowd going and gets gets them their blood pumping as well. If you were walking into an arena or a stage or you know, somewhere that's just you're actually gonna be doing a kind of sort of keynote speech, what would be your theme tune? What a wonderful world. How does that go? Well, it's a song. But uh, you know, I think it'd be what a wonderful world. That's one of the things that inspires me, you know, I see I see trees that are green, skies that are blue. You know? Do, you know, do you know who sings that? That's Al Green, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, I think Al Green uses it. Yeah. But isn't, wasn't it Louis Armstrong? Oh, it was Louis Armstrong, that? was yeah. it? Oh, okay. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Mm. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Awesome. That's good. What would be the title of your autobiography be? Things that I have learned. Mm, good answer. If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> I'm the most boring breakfast companion, so my husband would probably tell you it would be like muesli or all bran. If it, uh-huh. you know, I'd knock out boring breakfast. Very healthy. Yeah, and then, you know, move on to something more interesting. Yeah. 
Um, what day is celebrated in March and results in bars and parades that has the theme of green? Well, that's St. Patrick's Day. Yes, you got it. Well, well my surname is Rooney, right? I have to pick up one of these. I love it. So we're going to stick with Ireland just for a sec. Um, what is the name of the Irish fairy, which is always dressed in a green costume? Leprechaun. Yes, well done. Tell us something not a lot of people know about you. Uh, when I was married, um, mm-hmm. there was both a horse and an elephant at my wedding. It's part of the street parade in the lead up to me getting married. Okay, say that again. <laughs> there <laughs> a was horse both and an a elephant. horse and an elephant at my wedding. That you arranged on purpose? It was part of the street parade that my gorgeous in-laws arranged. Okay. It started as a joke, you see. Yeah. In, in India, the groom routinely rides in on a horse and right. what started as a joke in my family uh-huh. was if he gets a horse, I get an elephant. Right. And so, yes, both the horse and the elephant were arranged as part of the street parade. Who would know? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Okay. Um well, I've certainly given you a diversity of answers, quite That's, a number that I don't think you expected, particularly my that. answer to trivia. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> We're not finished yet, though. Um, in the Star Wars film, what is the invisible power that binds the galaxy together? The Force. Yes. Okay. You know a little bit Star Wars. Um, what was the last words from the Star Wars movie, The Empire Strikes Back? Oh, not sure. May the force be with you. That's it. I didn't whisper that or anything, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sticking with movies, who was your childhood actor or actress crush? Mm, Could be a pop star or a movie star? Maybe Brad Pitt in the early days. Yeah. Not so much now. Well, I mean, (laughs) when you look at him in his Thelma and Louise days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm, No comment. (laughs) Um, As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I had no idea. Really? You know, I, I enjoyed so many different things. So, uh-huh. you know, I wanted to be a teacher or a counsellor or a scientist. And look, honestly, I was so lucky while I yeah. was deciding between business law and engineering, I was offered an engineering scholarship by the mm-hmm. wonderful University of Sydney. Yeah. And they really took care of me and opened up this whole new world of engineering where a lot of fabulous people that uh-huh. know stuff yeah. come together and collaborate and make things bigger than themselves. Ah, okay. So it was a real gift, but, you know, one that I certainly fell into, yeah. which I think we find many women in engineering or women in property have, uh-huh. and they've usually had strong mentors to help them get across the line and lean into industry. Good answer. Um, which book are you reading at the moment and would you recommend it? Well, I, I have a series of books that I'm reading at the moment. So I've been reading The Bad Guys with My Kids, which is like one of the top one of the top kids' books. Oh, yeah. Um, and I have recently um, finished reading a phenomenal book called Paper Ghosts, which is mm-hmm. um, a story of a girl who actually kidnaps a man with dementia because she thinks she'll be, be able to remember what happened to her sister. Okay. You know, and so they work through both of their paths through the journey. So it's phenomenal. Right. Okay. Nice one. Um, if you had a time machine, would you go back in time or would you go into the future? Into the future. You go into the future? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you've always got to look beyond and, and, and see, see where that takes us. Yeah. You wouldn't go back in time and change anything? No regrets? Nothing you would like to No. Learn? No. no. Honestly, I, I, there's nothing that's happened that I haven't learned something from that uh-huh. hasn't led to a pathway forward. So. Okay. So going back in time, what's the most embarrassing fashion trend that you used to rock? Oh, 
Well, you know, the 80s is mm-hmm. one that I think is a blight on many of us. Yeah. But I must say, I, I do have a high, like a school prom dress that I kept from the 80s, mm-hmm. very much hoping that I'd get invited to an 80s party that I could utilise it. You know, it's so one of those awful white taffeta, puff sleeve, yeah. puff outfits. <laughs> so if you ever have a chance in, and you're having an 80s party, invite me. I've Make got sure just the right outfit. <laughs> and there's been 30 years where it's been waiting for another use. Love it. Love it. Have you ever completed anything on your bucket list? Well, my 5K run in the pandemic Mm -hmm. um, was up there. I've run a couple of marathons, um, uh, done some great trekking in the Himalayas. Mm -hmm. Look, there's the whole whole future out there. Um, I really want to go back and trek the Annapurna circuit. Okay. Um, And I was due to do that in 2004, but there was Mm -hmm. some – geopolitical issues that made that option unavailable. So, okay. yeah, that's something I'd really love to go back and do. Yeah, yeah. Is that, does that take a long time to do that or? It's a, it's about a three-week walk. Is it? Yeah, so I, I think I think I'm waiting while my family grows up for a little while ah, and right. hopefully they'll come with me. Keep it on the back burner. Yeah. Mm. Um, so keeping the theme of buckets, um, true or false, the name of the little boy in the movie or the book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is Charlie Bucket. True. Correct. And finally, if you had your own late night talk show, who would you invite as your first guest? And it could be dead or alive. Um, I think I'd invite Al Gore. Yeah. You know, because one of the things I'm fascinated about is the kind of change he's brought about in sustainability. Mm-hmm. But at some stages, there's some lessons learned mm-hmm. from his time and engagement on the political side that I think yeah. we all need to learn. Uh-huh. You know, so whilst he's risen a whole cohort of environmental activists, at that time we've sort of gotten the anti-activist. Yeah. And so I'm, I'd be really interested in his reflections stepping all the way back and sort of reimagining that forward. What, what could we do differently yeah. and what do we need to learn from the past mm-hmm. so we take people with us rather than dividing ourselves into groups and going to war? What a way to end. Awesome. Mm. Um, fantastic. So the random light of delight was flashing madly there. Hope you found that um, fun and a few laughs there. So thank you for some really bizarre answers and <laughs> insights into your into your crazy life as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me and having some patience as, as we work through the musical section of this quiz. <laughs> no worries. Thanks so much for agreeing to take time up your busy schedule, Divina. It's been a real pleasure talking with you discovering more about the important role you play at the Green Building Council and um, what the team does and um, everything you're doing to make a difference. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Talking Buildings, a Sipsi Australia and New Zealand production. You can download previous episodes or subscribe to future ones by searching Sipsi Talking Buildings. That's C-I-B-S-E on your favourite podcast app.